Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work around the world and in our community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The structure of our church fellowship is simple. We seek to grow together as a community, drawing upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're saved through grace, by faith in Christ alone. He must be at the center of each individual believer's life and choices, and he must be at the center of all the activities of the local church community as well. We want to know him and make him known in all that we do. Today we're considering the first six verses of Romans 7. Romans 7 is a most challenging chapter in the Bible. As you listen in today, please focus on the explanation of how the non-Christian encounters the law of God. It will always be the same, and it will help you understand the new relationship that the Christian has with that same law. Or do you not know, brothers? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no longer no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Paul says here, or do you not know? You see that? The very or do you not know? Which basically means you don't know. <laughs> There's something that you have not taken into account or you seem to have forgotten. Are you ignorant of is kind of what he's saying, which means they are somewhat ignorant of what it is that he's going to share. He's in that phrase, or he is referring to something that he's already been talking to. He's referring them back to something that he said or that has been arguing, and maybe they're somewhat confused about it. They're not entirely convinced by what he's saying, and so there's more that he has to say on the topic. It really brings us back to Romans 6.14. Keeping your Bibles open, just read there, Romans 6.14. There, Paul says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. The word there is, it shall not lord itself over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Now that's kind of an interesting statement, because he says, sin shall not lord it over you. And then you think, for you're not under sin, but you're under grace. But he says, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And now he said something very similar to that here in verse 1 of chapter 7. He says, the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. That is, the law lords it over a man as long as he lives. And this dominion, this domination that the law holds against the individual seems to be something that, and this is what Paul's going to make, is not a dominion or domination that it holds over the Christian individual. Something has changed. So Paul is differentiating between how the law is experienced by the unbeliever or the unsaved person and how the law is to be experienced by the believer, by the saved person. And there is a bit of a problem here. The problem is the saved people he's writing to are coming before the law like unbelievers too often. 
And they're not experiencing and they're not living in the liberty or the removal of this domination of the law over their lives. But first, let's just for a moment think about how the law is experienced by the unbeliever. And I think, now this is the argument Paul will make all through the beginning of the book of Romans, and you'll see this over and over again because he addresses the law on a number of different occasions. And in this passage, he's really going to take up the argument of the law. In fact, in the first 14 verses, the law is referred to in every single verse of the first 14 verses. And over this chapter, 35 times, Paul will reference the law. So it's something that he's, it's the main thing he's dealing with and the right approach and the right understanding of the law. But prior to this, he's pointed out that the law is completely incapable of bringing a person into salvation. In fact, what the law does is it simply reveals to the individual that they're sinners. And not only that, the law comes to them with its commands and it aggravates within them more sinfulness. First, what they do is they try to be righteous by the law. They try to prove themselves to somehow be deserving, morally deserving. But as they find the difficulty and their lack of growing ground in that way, they begin to resent the law. And so they kind of yo-yo between two activities that you'll see him talk about. They yo-yo between using the law as a way of establishing their own self-righteousness, which doesn't work, to going back to rebanding the law, rebelling against the law, and resenting the law, and pursuing their own self-pleasing. In all of this, the law continues to come about upon them, voicing its judgment and condemnation on them, it declaring them unfit. That's the relationship they have with the law. No matter how much they might strive after it, and how much at times they want to prove that they're a good person, the law keeps coming back to them saying, unfit, unfit, unrighteous. And then when they rebel against it, and they resist it, and they turn from it, which is in their nature, that's why they can't somehow fulfill the righteousness of the law, the law comes back again, unfit, under judgment, under judgment. Even if all you're doing is following the rules, the moral law that you've established for yourself about how you think you're supposed to live, the truth is, sometimes you take those principles and those rules for yourself, and at times you feel kind of righteous. You feel better than other people because you would, how would, how would, I would never do what they do, and you feel good about yourself, but honestly, most days, your own laws, you think, oh, I'm unfit. I don't need to keep my own rules. I fail at my own laws. And so much more the law of a holy God and the commands of a holy God. And so, ultimately, it lays over you this sense of your own disease and your own unfitfulness and your own sinfulness and your deserving of judgment, yes, of judgment, and even of your deserving of God's wrath being poured out upon you. That's the experience and that's the encounter you have with the law. You can go to any place in the world, any religion in the world, and the law is simply the basis by which they seek to gain their own righteousness and at the same time they impose the law as a cultural repression against the most sinful impulses of people. It's to hold down the people and at the same time they think that thing that's holding down their sinful impulses to it they're going to rise up to heaven and it doesn't work. It just holds them down. I'm glad for it. You'd have chaos if it wasn't there. But it doesn't get to heaven, and it's this mantle over them that holds down their sinful impulses. That's the nature of the way in which the unsaved person encounters the law. They're under that lordship. They're under that domination. Don't you know this, Paul's saying? Don't you realize that? That's how it is. Now, Paul says, but for the Christian, it's completely different. Something's changed. As to the condemnation that it speaks against you and the judgment it speaks against you, 
Now you've come to understand that there's one who's come who's lived a sinless life and he's died in your place and he's bore the punishment of the judgment of that sin against you and he lived a perfect and sinless life and he gives to you by your faith in him his complete righteousness so the law doesn't speak condemnation against you because your righteousness is found in him. And not only that, it comes to you and it changes your nature. Something in your nature is turned because this one lives in you and he gives you a divine impulse to please him. In other words, the law is not just repressing your worst impulses. Now the law comes inviting you into the life you want to live, into the person you want to know, and the experiences you want to rise in and you delight in it because your heart is for it. And, and not only that, it's, it's not repressing those instincts you can't control, but the law comes to the believer and it's stirring up within them the divine life and impulses they have because they've been born again in Jesus Christ. And it's saying, not you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do that, but come and do this and come and do this. It's a change. It's a complete change. From that mantle and that oppression to this experience of liberty, of life. It justifies us. We've been justified and we've been made new and we've been regenerated and we have this whole new relationship to the law that we never had before. A relationship in which we're not tying ourselves to the law but instead we're bound up in the lawgiver and we have a relationship with him and life with him and as a result we are not seeking independence from God which is the heart of sinful man but we are seeking to know God and experience God and enjoy God and we find in the law a place where we can know him and enjoy him and experience him like never before we love it that's the impulse of the believer now We've talked about this before. Paul talks about this earlier. You'll see this as we progress on into this chapter. That's what happens in the believer because his spirit and his life has changed. But this redeemed spirit that we have still resides in an unredeemed body. And our flesh still has an appetite for those old ways. And it still has habits that pick up the pattern of those old ways. And Paul is correcting that pattern and that appetite and that habit because it's still expressing itself in the life of the believer. Although they have this position, at times they seem to live under the same pattern, the same ideas, and the same thinking as the unbeliever and as the unsaved person. So Paul has to address this. So he says here, or do you not know brethren? You see that word brethren there? Or do you not know brethren? And now he's taking what he's been talking about and he's really pointedly applying it to us and our lives. He's underscoring some things that they need to hear. Paul's going to talk about the law for the believer in three ways. In the first six verses of Romans 7 here, he's going to talk about a new relationship that ends the law's domination over our lives. In verses 7 through 12, he's going to address the benefits and the value of the law in our lives. And then in the last half, in verses 13 through 25, he's going to explain the ongoing conflicts and the limitation that the law has, even in the life of the believer. And we'll have to look at these at one at a time, but this morning I just want to talk about this first point, this new relationship that ends the law's domination in our life. And so here's the first thing Paul wants them to see. By the way, when he says to them, brethren, not only is he addressing the believer pointedly and all that he said, he's bringing it to the, a point of application in life, but there's tenderness in it. There's a sense of gentleness and what he's saying and how he's addressing them. Now, here's the first thing I want you to see. The first thing we see here is that a death has occurred that ends a relationship. 
A death has occurred that ends a relationship. And Paul uses an illustration of a woman who's bound to her husband while he lives, but if he dies, she's set free from that husband to get remarried. She's no longer the man's wife, she's his widow. And as a result, if she should choose, she's free to get married again and there's nothing wrong with him. Paul is simply making a legal point here that death ends a legal bond, that death ends a legal bond. And, and, and actually, that's probably the best way to approach the illustration that Paul is using here, because if you try to make it too much of an allegory, or you try to make it an analogy where you're trying to find everything lines up in what he says, it's hard to line it up, and you'll find different commentators come to this passage, and they're all arguing about who it is that died, and who it is that didn't die, and what died, and what died to what, and it gets quite confusing. But just keep in mind this, that he's giving you an illustration that says that death ends a legal bond. And from that simple illustration, Paul is going to say that death has ended our bond, our connection to the law. Remember now, the law reveals that we're sinners. It speaks that we're under judgment. It establishes a standard of righteousness that we have no power to attain to in our own efforts, in our own life. It exposes our sinful natures and it actually aggravates that sinful nature. I don't know if you know this with your children, but you always have to kind of figure out when you want to tell them certain rules because you know if you tell them certain rules, instead of turning them away from bad behavior, it'll turn into it. They'll think, well, now they're fixated on that thing. Now they want to do the thing that you said they're not supposed to do. And so if they don't know it, you don't say, now listen, I don't want you to eat any of the cookies in the cookie jar. Now, what have you just done? You've just in their mind there's cookies in the cookie jar and they want to eat it and so you've almost tempted them but the law kind of does that thanks for joining us at the bread of life a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the bread of life fellowship in boise idaho to learn more go to breadoflifeboise.org until the next time may god bless you